come from the bottom of your heart as you give him praise, as you give him honor. for a moment would you think of uh, don't, don't get caught up in the same way you always praise with the same words but from the bottom of your heart what, what has he done for you what's he doing for you right now look at yesterday look at this week and acknowledge his hand in your life if you're walking through a valley if you're walking see him bigger than that right now hallelujah see the grandeur see the greatness see the majesty of God on high said it before but I'm in my just my daily Bible reading I'm part of it is in the book of Revelation and it always amazes me that at the very beginning of Revelation God or rather uh, John he writes and he first sees Jesus it looks a little bit like a man there's some grand to it but look at it it's it's very obviously it's a it's the figure of a man but by the time John gets done in those heavenly places the wrath and the vials and everything's poured out and you walk through all of that by the time you get to revelations I think chapter 20 John's starting to run out of words to describe his savior he, he can't it's it's when, when I read it I can't even make my mind see what John's is seeing sometimes in our prayer and in our praise we need to get to where we can't even describe him anymore I can't even fathom I'm thankful he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother I'm thankful that a lot of times I can I can relate but sometimes you need to understand he's the same one that was before anything else was He's the same one that just with his voice began to create things and they appeared and scientists still can't explain it. He's the one that lives in a realm you and I have never yet even come close to. He's God Almighty. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for his presence and I'm thankful that you are here today and thank you for your worship. A service without deep worship makes it hard on a preacher. 
But when you have worshiped and praised and prepared, I believe the Word of God can go forth. You can be seated just a moment. We welcome each and every one of you here. Our front row is a little empty today. Front rows, our youth are on their annual youth retreat. They left Friday night and and, uh, looks like they're having a blast. God is moving and I'm thankful for uh, the vision and the leadership of our youth department and uh, glad that they are uh, able to be a part of that. And uh, But we're thankful also this week, or weekend rather, has been the Urshan Preview Weekend. And uh, I've had a bunch of phone calls from friends of mine whose children are, are checking Urshan out. And uh, if you're here and you've been a part of that Urshan Preview Weekend, we welcome you and we're glad you stayed over for a service. And we pray that God would uh, give you wisdom and direction as you plan some of the next uh, steps of your life. And we know that God knows those steps more than anybody else. And he's able to lead you into what your next steps are going to be. This upcoming week, we're looking forward, and it's already been announced. I'm not trying to re-announce it. I'm just excited about it. But next Sunday is going to be pretty amazing. And uh, we've had a lot of missionaries come through And we're thankful for every missionary. You're going to hear from one here in just a moment for a a, a minute or two. But uh, I've never had a national superintendent of of, of one of our works behind this pulpit. And we're going to be blessed, I think, with... Uh, the, the National Superintendent of Madagascar, and I believe also the National Superintendent of, uh, of Mauritius, a, a reunion, reunion, one of the islands there, and they're going to be ministering. Brother Richardson will be translating for us. It's going to be a great time. Uh, and, and we do that for a purpose because I want this church to see we're part of something bigger. And we're thankful next week is um, the Global Council and this is where it happens every few years, usually overseas. Um, but it's where the, the delegates, usually um, superintendents of, of the works across the globe, come together. And uh, this year it's going to be here. And so missionaries are coming in and national leaders are coming in. But we're thankful to have the Andersons here, missionaries to Brazil. I got to connect with them. And uh, they got their hands full, not just with, with their work in Brazil, but they've got uh, an incredible young man. I, got to sh- uh, I think I gave him a high five, but it was pretty cool. And he's got uh, three siblings, three instant siblings, triplets. But Brother Anderson, would you come? We want you to just greet uh, Lighthouse Church. Tell us a little bit about what God is doing in Brazil. We welcome you to Lighthouse in Jesus' name. Thank you, my friend. We love you. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. A paz do Senhor Jesus a todos. And that's when you say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be here. This morning in the house of the Lord with my family, my wonderful wife, Tiffany, in the back, wave your hand here, and our son, Grant, who's two years old, and our triplets, who I can't even remember their names most of the time, (laughs) Uh, but we're excited to be here. We just got back uh, from the field, our four-year term in Brazil. Uh, We just got back this Thursday, so it's actually our triplets, our uh, first time in an American church service, so that's going to be down in history for here. Uh, we're so thankful for what God is doing in Brazil. Uh, my wife and I, we got to Brazil uh, as Amers in 2013, so we're almost going on 10 years this next year. Uh, and we were appointed in 2016, and we arrived uh, for our term in 2019 in the beginning. And we've just seen God just do some amazing things, and we could be here all day telling stories, but we're not going to do that. 
Uh, we are in the city of Sao Paulo. It's a city of about 23 million people, uh, metropolitan area. It's the largest city uh, in South America and in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it's a massive city. And the first place we arrived to in 2013 was Sao Paulo. And we could see the city outside of our window. And it was just uh, something that was to be behold. And when we arrived, we said, well, how many churches do we have in the city of Sao Paulo? And they said, well, actually, we don't have any uh, churches in the city of Sao Paulo. So to me, immediately, that moment, God birthed a burden in us to begin churches in the city of Sao Paulo. We have over, uh, we have 100 neighborhoods that are in the city of Sao Paulo, 100 neighborhoods that almost are many cities, each one of them. And in all of those neighborhoods, there hasn't been one Church, And when you talk about reached areas, you might think of Brazil and you think of the Amazon and the great work of Brother Benny DeMerchant that spent over 50 years in the Amazon. And what God has done there has just been tremendous. But the Amazon is to Brazil almost what Alaska is to the United States of America. It, was, it would almost be as if all of the revival in America was centered in Alaska. That's how it would be. And you think of that span of the city. So we arrived in 2013 and we began to work uh, to plant the first churches in Sao Paulo. And you know what happened in 2020? In February of 2020, we actually uh, opened the lease on two different places in the city of Sao Paulo. We began to start two churches at once. I like to, you know, keep my hands as full as possible instead of having one, you know, child at a time and having three at a time. So I'm like, hey, why not just start one church? Well, let's start two at, at, at once. You know, that'll be fun. Uh, that'll be a good idea. And that's February of 2020. March of 2020, everything shuts down. You know the story with COVID. And overseas, it was even crazier, the shutdowns uh, with COVID. And we said, God, we're starting a church here. We just signed the lease. And you know what? People want their money, regardless of pandemic. Can I get an amen? People still want their money. They still come and calling. And we were just starting the work. We said, God, are we going to have to shut down this work? But I just knew and I felt what God has started, he's going to provide for, and he's going to see all the way to the end. Amen? And there were months and there was times, and we didn't, ha we didn't send out text messages and crying and messaging, but there were times that even in Canada, a lady we didn't know in a church, at a, at a United Pentecostal church in Canada, told her pastor, she said, hey, I had a vision of a dream of a young couple that are in Sao Paulo. I don't know who they are. I don't know what their names are. Do we even have a missionary in Sao Paulo? And he said, yeah, it's our friends, the Andersons. They're in the city of Sao Paulo. She said, okay, well, the Lord laid upon my heart to give this amount to them. And can I tell you, when you did the conversion to Canadian dollars into Brazilian reais, it was exactly what we needed for that month to pay for both of our locations, amen? Because what God has started, no man can stop. When God opens a door, he's going to keep it open. Uh, and God just began to do awesome things in our churches. When I opened up after COVID, we were finally allowed to open up the two, three, four masks on, you know, that kind of stuff. And we opened up the, the, the room. Grant was just born, our two-year-old, and we had a great crowd of, of exactly one. It was myself. No one even prayed through. <laughs> No one was even in the altar. Um, and that was a discouraging moment, I have to be honest with you. But can I tell you, stay with it. Stay with it. Because he who's begun a good work, he's going to see it all the way to the end. And we just began to keep going and saying, God, you've called us to do this. You're going to provide for us. And one after one after one, people began to hear the voice of God. They began to come into these churches and be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that God is still working, amen? Amen, he's still working. In our Brasilândia church, the northern zone of Sao Paulo, it's a, we call it a quebrada in, Portu in Portuguese. It's a, uh, it's a favela, it's a slum, it's controlled by drug lords. Uh, that's our second church that we were starting up there. 
And when we begin to open up to have church services, we actually have two witchcraft centers across the street uh, that begin to beat their drums and burn their trash and kind of put stuff in little figurines in front of our church and do their work. I'm like, oh, nope, nope, nope. No weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Said, all right, church, there was only a few of us. There's three or four of us. We said, hey, let's get together. We're going to pray. We're going to fast, and we're going to break the bondage that's here. Can I tell you, after a week of prayer and fasting at the church, it all stopped. The neighbors began to come to us and say, hey, I don't know what you guys are doing, but they used to beat their drums and do all these chants all the way into the night, midnight, one, two in the morning. They stopped doing that completely, can I tell you, because God is still moving and he's still calling and he's still blessing in this world. Whatever you need in this place, God is able to provide. We had a man, and you know when you start a church, you don't have, this is amazing music, by the way. God bless you all. Wow. We were just so impressed. Well, you know, when you're starting a church, there's no such thing as amazing music. It's amazing in all the wrong ways. And, uh, and there was this one man, this older gentleman that was coming by, and he was talking to our, uh, our worker who's taking care of that second church we're starting, Just Say, and he, uh, he's actually a classical uh, guitarist. Yeah, Amazing. And uh, we began to talk to him about, hey, you know, we actually need people to play guitar. He said, well, that's interesting. Well, I'm a part of another church, and I don't see what you guys see, but let's see what we can do. He said, yeah, let's see what we can do. You know, we can, we can maybe pay you. And he, in that moment, he stopped, and he looked down, he closed his eyes, and he, did, and he grimaced. I'm like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> and he said, the Lord just spoke to me that I need to come here and give your people guitar lessons until they know how to play guitar, and I'm not going to take a dime from you. Welcome, bienvenido, bienvenido. <laughs> and after a while, he started coming to the church every now and then. He's like, I don't see what you guys believe, and I don't believe in the oneness and the baptism in Jesus' name. We're like, that's fine, you know, just, you're, you're always welcome. And there was one service that he came, and he was wrestling. We could see God moving. Don't you love it when God moves? And in this one service, he, he, I just felt led in the service. I said, if you need healing in your body, God is here to heal your body. He came up to the front and he said, well, I can't play like I used to because I have an issue with my rotator cuff and I cannot lift my arm above, above my shoulder level. I said, well, I believe that God's going to heal you. Can I tell you in that moment, he lifted up his hands. And in that moment, God healed his body. He said, I felt almost as if it was melting away what was in my rotator cuff. And he began to lift up both of his hands. And in that moment, God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He was baptized in Jesus' name. And he's now a member of this church. Amen. God is moving. Amen. And God, who started a good work, he's going to complete it. And finally, this hits home really to us in our center church. We're in the center of Sao Paulo. In that massive city, there's, there's homeless, drug addicts. I mean, everything you can possibly imagine. There was one service where we, uh, we, we were in such a rush. You know, we have triplets. I don't know if you know that or not. We were in, <laughs> everything we do is in a rush. We're just throwing them in the car. One, two, three, four. Is that all of them? Okay, let's go. That the gate on our church, we didn't lock the door completely. And um, we're in Brazil. It's, it's, it's not a very safe place. And we left the church after a Bible study. It was uh, 8.30 at night. And I'm about to go to bed. It's about 11.30 at night. And I get a call from our neighbor at the church, and she said, hey, pastor, um, just to let you know, there was a homeless man was, was yelling, and, and, and they, they clapped their hands. They don't have doorbells, so whenever someone arrives, they can't do this number. They're like, that's a Brazilian doorbell for you, amen. And she said, uh, this homeless man saying that, hey, your, your, your side door on the church is, is wide open. I was like, 
Oh no. Oh no, everything's gonna be stolen. Oh no, oh no, everything, everything we just saved for. We have a small church. Oh Jesus. I got in my car and I just began to race down all the way to the church. I'm about 15 minutes away. I think I made that trip in about seven minutes. I got to the church. And when I got there, I, no one was even there, and the homeless man had left that had been watching the church, and I checked everything. I said, wow, well, praise God, nothing's missing. This is amazing. And I locked up the church, and I double, triple, quadruple checked that the church was actually locked that time, and we went on our way. And later on, actually, a man, we were doing evangelism another day, and he said that when, as we were passing out tracts, this one man said, hey, you guys are from the church that had the door unlocked, didn't you? And he's like, yeah, we did. Yeah, we are. He's like, yeah, I, I, I was over there when that happened and I was, you know, standing guard and making sure nobody came in. And, you know, the, our, the, the, the minister of our church said, thank you so very much. And, and, and at that moment, I began to think, I was like, you know, is, is this really a homeless man or is this, is this like an angelic presentation? I said, God, I want to meet this person. I've, I've never seen them come by. And our very last service, so this past Sunday, we go back to the church to get our, uh, our, our, our things from the church. We had just left the church. We go, I go back by myself at night with my wife, and we're just packing up some of our things from the church, and it's just us at the church. And as I'm going out, I'm struggling to get everything out of the church, and I see this homeless man kind of standing there. And at first I'm like, oh, here it goes. He's going to, you know, ask me for something. But then after a while, he's just standing there and smiling, kind of like with a smile on his face. I said, well, hey, how are you doing? He's like, well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm doing good. And we start to talk, and he said, hey, you know, I'm actually the man that was here when your church was unlocked and uh, made sure nobody got in. I'm like, oh, well, thank you so much. I've been wanting to meet you. And then in that moment, I can't describe to you what happened because you got to think, we're coming back on deputation. We have three seven-month-old triplets and a two-year-old all in diapers. My goodness, I've never seen so many diapers in my life. And I'm like, God, what are we doing are you gonna, do you really have us in your hand? Are you really making sure that we're going to be okay? Because, my God, we're moving across continents with, with triplets that are seven months old and a two-year-old. How are we going to do this? And then that man began to minister to me right then. And I could tell he wasn't just a normal homeless man because he didn't speak any cuss words or any foul mouth at all. But he just began to say, the Bible says, and we know things, that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. He said, don't you ever forget that. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. And he began to say, God has got you in his hands. Don't worry. Come on, I refuse to believe that was just a normal homeless person, drug addict. That even though we're here in America, God's got his angels encamped about us wherever there are one or two or three gathered together in his name. Come on, can somebody give God some praise? Thank you so much, Pastor. God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, may that build someone's faith right now. He knows. You, you said it several times, Brother Anderson. You said in that moment. Speaking of moments, has any of you ever missed a moment? My uh, cousin, we love to fish. Royce and I were with his uncle. We were sitting on the edge of one of them, kind of like a pontoon boat. We were out in the backwaters of the Gulf of Mexico, and we were fishing. We didn't know near what I know now. I wish I could go back. Now that i got knowledge of how to fish, I don't have the time to go down there and fish, but we'd fish. 
No. He was sitting on the edge of the boat. We're just kind of driving, or my uncle's driving, his uncle, and we're fishing. And all of a sudden, his pole went, bam! And it ripped the pole out of his hand. And that, that rod skied across the water for 50, 60 feet. We jumped in after it. We have no idea what hit that rod to this day. If it's a shark, a big, but it was a moment missed, and you go home and you dream about the what if. Any shoppers here? That way I don't always talk about hunting and fishing. Okay, good. I don't have to talk about shopping. This is awesome. Oh, okay, we got one shopper. I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm going to talk your language for a moment, but if not, I'm going to go back to hunting and fishing because that's what I know. Since COVID, I don't go shopping. Any of you ever missed a sale? You missed the moment? You wanted to get it, said I'll come back, and it's, it's out of stock. It doesn't exist any. Some of those moments are intangible. Has any of you ever told an incredible joke that the person didn't get? It just takes all the wind out of her sails in that moment. And you, 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 you wonder, should I explain it? But then that doesn't make it funny anymore. And so you use this phrase, forget it, the moment's past. By the way, dads, the, the pinnacle of a dad joke is when you can get your wife to laugh. I've, I've missed many moments. I've missed moments that I regret. I miss moments that, that I wish my wife just stepped out, but kind of glad because she don't need to remember this. I missed our 11th wedding anniversary. That was, that, was, that was 10 years ago, so we're still married. That's a good thing. I mean, I knew it was our wedding anniversary, but I remember we had a lot going on. We had outreach that morning because, you know, that's what a really good husband does is plans an outreach on the anniversary. We're running down the street. Our kids are there. Uh, we even went out and ate dinner with some friends. Didn't say a thing about the anniversary. And then we get home, and it was late. I'm about to go to bed, and I remembered that I hadn't got her a card. I hadn't got her a flowers. I hadn't got her a gift. Of course, she didn't get me flowers, cards, or a gift. But for some reason in a marriage, only the guy has to remember the anniversary, but whatever. Um, she's not here. <laughs> but I missed the moments. And in life, sometimes we... We, we can miss those times. And there's, there's a, a negative aspect of living in the moment. Um, I, I, you know, too many times we, we associate the phrase live in the moment and, and we, we think of some bohemian gypsy hippie lifestyle that, you know, there's living. Like the guy, his name is Ashley Revel. He's 30, he was 32 years old from London and he decided he wanted to live in the moment. And so in 2004, he sold everything he owned. 
He sold every piece of clothing, everything, his house. He sold everything except the clothes he was wearing. And he took all the money that he raised, all the money that he got. It was, it, it was $135,000 that he got from selling everything that he owned. And he took it to Vegas. And he put all $130,300 and he put it on one poker chip or one chip. And he went to the roulette wheel and he set it there. And if it fell on red, he would have doubled his $135,000. But if it fell on black, he would lose it all. And so he decided to live in the moment and double or nothing his entire life. And luckily, in the very sincerest sense of the word, it slotted red and everybody cheered. They actually had a television uh, uh, company in, in London that was following him and it made him a 15-minute hero. He lived in the moment. And, and that's cool, but I, I would, mine would be the totally opposite. But uh, so, so sometimes we think about the negative con- connotation of living in the moment. Mark Twain said this. He said, I've known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Because too many times we spend all of our life worrying about the what ifs. And we forget that we live right now. We live in this moment. Matthew 6, 34 says it's something like this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will, tomorrow will worry about itself. I remember vividly 1999. We were, I was there at the North American Youth Congress as Brother Nathan Reaver. Our then national youth president preached his final message as youth president. I cannot tell you what he preached. I'm done. Done. I went back and watched the message last week when that crazy sound system spit and I jumped and it did it again. I'm done. I'm leaving. I don't know what Brother Reaver preached. I'm not really sure all the things that he talked about, although I did talk to him today. I texted him early this morning, and he sent me his notes, kind of handwritten notes, sent a picture of them, so I can go back. But I remember one thing out of that message uh, all those years ago, 1999 in August, I remembered an illustration that I'm going to come back to in a moment, but it's partly birthed. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, book of John, chapter 11. I'm not going to necessarily read the verses. Hopefully you can find out where I'm at, but, but I want to just talk to you about living in the moment, living in the moment. But the Bible says a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus. Y'all know the story, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and, and they're there. It's the same Mary that, that would sit at the feet of Jesus, the same Martha that would fix everything and have the house perfect. It was the same Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, that was sick. They had went and found Jesus wherever he was, a, few, a, a, a little bit of ways away, and, and said, Jesus, come, Lazarus, our brother, he's sick, come and, and, and take care of him. And Jesus heard it, and he said to his disciples, ah, it's not really a, a sickness unto death, everything's going to be fine. And it seems as if Jesus is just taking his own sweet time, not paying attention. He's just walking aimlessly, it seemed, but yet, if you really look back, there's some other things that goes on, and and, and for those that Jesus slowed down for, it was their moment. But when he gets to Jesus, or, or when Jesus, rather, when Jesus gets to Lazarus, Lazarus is dead. 
Martha runs out. This is verse 21 of, of John 11. Martha runs out and she says to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What, what Martha was saying was, Lord, I know you can take care of the past. And then she, the Lord says, uh, uh, or rather she continues to say, I know whatever you say, God will give it. And Jesus looks at her and says, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha says, yes, yes, I know. I know he'll rise again in that resurrection. And again, what Martha is saying is, Lord, I know you can take care of the future. But what Martha was trying to figure out is, God, can you take care of my right now? I know you got the past all handled. I know you can take care of the future, but I need you right now. Mary comes and cries at Jesus. If you look down, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Oh, they thought, oh, look, he loves Lazarus. They, they get that. They made fun of Jesus. This is the same guy that could open the eyes of the blind, but he can't even ha- have come and healed his friend. And Jesus groans in himself, and he tells them, take away the stone. Jesus wept probably for multiple reasons. Perhaps the humanity, the emotions of, of him began to weep because, in a sense, his friend had died but I think more than that Jesus wept because they could not see the present help in front of them they take away the stone and Jesus lifts up his eyes he prays a simple prayer and when he had thus spoken he cries with a loud voice Lazarus come forth and the dead came forth bound hand and foot Jesus was trying to teach them live in the moment When the Lord is with you, I'm thankful y'all lived in the moment during our worship because I have been to services where the presence of God was there and God wants to do something and no one stepped out in the moment. Don't miss the moment. It's not a self-help. It's not a, a, a meditation type thing to say live in the moments. But I've spent a lot of time in the deer stand. And, uh, I prayed a lot of prayers in the tree stand. Some of my prayers was, Lord, please send me a deer. And sometimes it works. But sometimes I pray other prayers. I remember sitting in the deer stand one time, and and I said, Lord, I'm going to spend a a lot of time in the next couple of days sitting in a tree stand, kind of doing nothing. Would you guide my thoughts for a moment? And it was almost instantaneous that verses begin to spring to my mind like Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Or Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Too many times we think of God as he's the one who controls the past. Or we look at God like everything will work out. I I get it. He's the God of our future. But don't miss the fact that he's the God of right now. You ever stop to contemplate? Why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and give us this day our daily bread. Reminiscent of that manna that fell from heaven, that that manna was only good for that day. And then you had to trust him for tomorrow's day. 
See, living in the moment or living for today requires faith. I'm, I thank you, Brother Anderson. I, I've, I've, I've struggled a little bit today in trying to kind of figure out the direction. And, and honestly, some days I feel like I'm about to preach the best sermon this world has ever heard. And then other days, like today, I prayed, God, if you'll just let somebody run the aisles, maybe I won't have to preach. Just being honest. Thank you for other ministers that know where I've been and where, where I'm at right now. But thank you, Brother Anderson, because you begin to talk about the provision of God, the moment of God. Can I tell you that if you really want to live the moment, you've got to allow your faith to say, I know right now, today, God can take care of me. And I don't know what tomorrow may bring. I have no idea what I'm going to wake up to. I've got some ideas of what tomorrow is going to look like because I've got a little knowledge of things that are kind of going and moving. But God, if you're able to take care of my today, then I know when I wake up in the morning, you'll take care of my morning too. And you live day by day. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19 moment I've missed those moments like King Agrippa Acts 26 when Paul preached an incredible message or taught an incredible Bible study however you want to look at it and, and, and Agrippa's response is almost you've persuaded me almost it made almost I did something and history does not record so I have no idea if it's true really he missed it or not but I'm kind of assuming he did since we don't know and Agrippa missed the moment or or, or what about some some other miss moments like Judas Judas, when Jesus troubled in spirit, John 13, and, and he's sitting around the table, and, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's that, that upper room, that Passover table, and they're sitting around it, and, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and they, they're all trying to figure out, these 12 men, who is it going to be? And finally, Jesus said, it's the one in whom's dipping his bread in the oil, like you do at an Italian restaurant. I just wonder, at that moment, whether people look, Judas has his bread in the what they call the sop, the oil. Now, I, I know how it all works. I realize that God doesn't control us, but you have to think, did there flash a moment in Judas's mind when he says, maybe I ought to do something different? But he missed the moment. I, I could take you to Lot, and I've been preaching a lot about Lot. Lot missed the moment, chose the wrong thing. Or Esau, selling his birthright because he was hungry, he missed the moment. But August 1999, it's amazing how some things from sermons stick. You may not know everything they preach, but there's that one thing that grabs hold to you. And I remember it vividly. And, and again, I, I, I texted Brother Reaver this morning early and, and just talked to him for a moment and thanked him for his voice in 1999 that still speaks to me this morning. He, he preached, and, and I have his notes. I, I could, I, if I'd have thought long enough, we'd put it on the screen. But he preached, and he, 
he pulled an illustration from the, the, the steel tube rolling mills in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. These massive places where they burn and, and, and melt iron and then they take those irons and they turn it into a bar of steel and while that bar of steel is at a certain degree they will spin that bar and as they spin that bar centrifugal forces will open that solid bar of steel and turn it into a pipe. There was a man, a visitor who was there and and, and he was watching them do that and these, these, these red hot bars of solid steel would come out. Then the machine would spin them and it would open them up and turn it into a, a, uh, a tube or a pipe. And so he asked the men, he said, what's the most important ingredient? What's the most important thing about this process? And they replied, it's this. It's called the molten moment. And I can see Brother Reaver preaching it right now. That if the temperature of the metal is too hot, when it spins, it'll fly apart. But if the temperature is too cold, it won't open. And he said the hardest thing or the most important thing about our job is don't miss the moment. When everything is perfect for it change, when everything is perfect for it to just operate in that, and, and it spins just right and the temperature is just right, it will form the perfect tube. Today, we have once again a molten moment where you're in the right place at the right time with the right spirit, with the right attitude for God to do something in your life. It's like Zacchaeus in a tree. It just so happened to be that the tree he climbed up would be the tree that Jesus walked under. And there was a moment where Jesus looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house. And if Zacchaeus would have waited, he'd have missed the opportunity to sup with the master. Or the man who's, who was there when the waters of that pool of Bethesda would be troubled and, and he was crippled and he couldn't get there because he would sit on those stepped colonnades of that pool and he would sit there in whatever state he was in. Maybe he was a paraplegic, I don't know. And when the waters would begin to trouble, he would try to pull himself or do whatever it took and someone always beat him first to the water. Until a man stepped in his midst and said, what you waiting on? He said, I'm waiting for someone to get me to the water. No one's ever carried me to the water. I don't have anybody that helps me get there. But he didn't realize for the moment he was standing or sitting, rather laying at the feet of the one who troubled the waters. And Jesus said, well, how about I do something about it? He could have doubted. He could have said, I don't think you can. He could have said they've already done it. But instead, he took advantage of the moment and his healing was there. What about Jesus' words to the disciples? Cast your net on the other side. Now, they argued for a moment. I'm thankful sometimes God prolongs the moment for us stubborn people. Uh, but, but you don't understand, Jesus, we fished all day. We fished all night. There's nothing in this whole body of water. I've been there. I have fished places that don't have one fish in the acres, thousand acres. They're all gone. Something happened to them. Makes me so mad I'm never going to fish again until somebody invites me. Throw your net on the other side. And, and if they would have argued a little bit longer, they could have missed the moment. 
Or, or what about the call of the disciples? Hey, hey, Peter, drop your nets and follow me. I love the way the Bible would say immediately he dropped his nets. Naaman the leper, Naaman, if you, would have, if you wouldn't have dipped one more time, you would have missed the moment. Or What about that time that you felt the presence, the pull of God, and you walked down to an altar, and you lifted up your hands in repentance, and you let God fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, but if you wouldn't have felt that drawing, or if you wouldn't have responded to that drawing, you would have missed the moment. And so it is that you and I have got to learn to live the moment. Another way is to say, live like there's no tomorrow. Don't wait. Don't say, uh, as Felix said to, to Paul, I'll, I'll wait till it's more convenient and then I'll respond. Don't wait and say, well, I'll wait till there's a baptismal service until I'm ready to get baptized. Don't say, well, maybe the next time I'll walk to the altar. I remember as a kid, I don't know why us kids, we... You know, there's things that we just think, and it, it gets stuck in our head. I, I, I remember, again, y'all have heard me say this, my parents had this rule. I, I could sit anywhere I wanted to sit in the church if it was in front of them. And they sat on the third row. Severely limited my seating opportunities. The old church in De Quincey had just a middle row, two, two, two sections, and I would sit on that front row. I'd be five or six, and I would try to sit in the front as long as I could until I got tired, and then I'd go under the pew and go to sleep, but I would try to sit on the front row, and I don't know why, but my mind would, I would, I would literally pray. I know I wanted the Holy Ghost, didn't know much about it. I just knew you needed the Holy Ghost to go to heaven, and I remember telling myself, and a lot of times, Lord, if you'll just please, I'm begging you, let someone go to the altar, because I didn't want to be the first one to go to the altar. And one of my earliest memories of church is me realizing I can't go to the altar because nobody else went to the altar. And then I didn't know much about the Holy Ghost, not because they didn't teach it. I'm four or five. I, I remember that, that, that people, when they got the Holy Ghost, they cried. And so I felt I needed to cry. But I'm dead inside and I don't cry, according to my wife. So I would go to the altar and I would squeeze my eyes together because I knew if one tear would roll down my face, I'd be saved. <laughs> no joke. I'm not, that, that's, that's what my memory is. But I would, I would wait for those, and I, and I would say when we'd have a, a great service, no one would come to the altar and I would feel like I missed my moment. Learn to live like there's no tomorrow. Ecclesiastes 11 says this, verse 3, the clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Now watch, where a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. It seems an interesting place, seems an interesting uh, thing for the Bible, but what it's saying is this. No matter where a tree falls, the direction that tree falls, that's where it stays. You ready for something really deep? Your future depends where your present ends. If God blew the trumpet right now and our eternity starts, it starts, the future starts where your present ended. The thief on the cross, Luke 23, 
He stands there. He's hanging on the cross. He's in the same agony and pain that the Savior is in. And, and one of the thieves is rebuking and condemning and railing and screaming and hollering. And this thief realizes something. And he says, you know, this one in the middle, Jesus, he didn't deserve it, but we did deserve it. We've, we, we've done horrible things. And, and, and Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom, when you come to thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today. You'll be with me at paradise. And at that moment, the Lord introduces a, a very important statement. Wherever your present ends, that's where your eternity begins. How, how can a man that's lived his life in such a way that they're going to execute him? Why does he get the choice to go to heaven? Well, first off, it's because of a loving Savior full of grace and mercy. But it's because the final act of his life predicted his future. He lived the moment. The 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says that this is the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time got to live in the moment. I'm going to I'm going to get way out. All of you that are preachers and theologians and you got the Bible all figured out, just close your ears for a moment and let me use my imagination and probably do a disservice to the word of God, but lately I've been connected to the rich young ruler I realize that the stories are not chronologically laid out in the Bible, so I can't I'm not saying this is true. But three times the Lord speaks of a rich man or a rich young ruler. I remember Brother Farino talking about this a little bit. It's been something that I keep coming back to. And every time I read the Bible, I just wonder. The rich young ruler, Luke 18, he comes to Jesus. Jesus, what do I do to obtain salvation? Jesus says, well... Take care of the commandments. Don't lie. Don't murder. Keep the Sabbath. Do all of that. And, and the rich man says, ah, I can do that. I've done it. I mean, I, since I've been a kid, I've doing that. And the Lord says, oh, well, there's one more thing just for you. Go sell everything you have. And the rich young ruler hangs his head, and he goes away sorrowful, and he misses the moment. Now, maybe I am way out on a limb but at least the, the premise will work. Luke 12 says there was a rich man who had so many riches and so many blessings that he was running out of space in his barn. And he decides to just take it easy. And he says, soul, you got everything made. You're cool. You're living in the moment. You don't need anything else. I'll just build a bigger barn and I'll put all of my riches in the barn. I'll get a bigger safety deposit box. I'm so rich, I can just find a bigger safe. And that night, the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord said, your soul's required today. And I just wonder if maybe there's a correlation to the rich young ruler that couldn't give up his riches to the rich man in the barn that realized too late the thing that matters most is my soul. And then there's a third story, maybe not at all connected. Luke 16. The rich man 
and Lazarus. Because one day the rich man woke up and he found himself in torment, found himself in the bowels of hell while the poor man Lazarus was there in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man looks out and it's interesting, the rich man never asks to get out of hell. The rich man first asked if Lazarus could just get a little bit of water and touch the tip of that rich man's tongue because he's in such torment. But it's too late. He says, then Lord, would you send, would you, would you send Lazarus to my brothers who there they've still got a chance. Would you send them to my brothers and maybe they won't end up like I'm ending up. And Jesus says they have the Bible, they have the prophets, they have the teachings. What the rich man was saying is I missed the moment here's the interesting thing you can miss the moment but the moment still happened the rich man missed the moment but the moment still came and his outcome was predicated on his present state could I just ask someone here in this place today don't miss the moment. There's a presence of God that's been here from the beginning and it reaches and I don't know that you have the opportunity. I, I don't know that I want to take the chance to just slip out and say, well, next Sunday we'll, we'll have a great move of God and I'll respond and everything's going to be just fine because I can't guarantee you that that moment will come. But there is a moment right here. Would you stand with me in the presence of God? Would you stand me in the conviction of God, the moving of God that's happening right now?